Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter number 6. This morning, uh, I'm going to have a, a, a present, a gift for you, if you will, uh, we are going to be out a little earlier. Woo! Now I say that because my we we didn't have a special this morning, and so that shortens the time. And my message is a little shorter than normal, note wise. And I say that, and I'll probably end up going to like twelve forty five. Uh, but anyway, I'll try to give you a good kiss Christmas present. Get you out early here. But this morning we are in the last see the last week of the season of Advent, and of course during Advent we've said we stand between two realities as believers. We stand looking back to the, the fulfilled promise of the Messiah. Advent means waiting or, or in coming. And of course, the first Advent was when the, the Jewish believers and the, really the world waited for Jesus to come as the Messiah, to come as a baby born in a manger uh, so many years ago and, and to live a perfect, sinless life and to, to die on the cross for sins that, that we should have died for, to, to take the punishment for our sins, to have the wrath of God, for my sin and your sin poured out on him and to die and to be buried and rise again three days later to redeem us to God the Father. And at Christmas, we look back and we thank him for that. And we're, we're grateful for his fulfilled promise, but we also look forward to the day he's going to come back. Because yes, we've received so much from God through the first advent. We've received you know, freedom from death and freedom from sin and freedom from hell and the grave. And so we are free from those things, but we're, we're not quite there where they have no authority or no power over us. You know, sin has no power over us, but we still struggle with sin. How many of y'all are sinless this morning? Get your hand down, I know you. None of us. We're free from the power of sin, but we still struggle with the reality of sin. Even if it's not our sin, other people's sin affects us. Other people's sin hurts us. We're free from the power of death. You know, we, as believers, the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. So when we die, it's not a, it's not a, a loss. It's a victory because we get to open our eyes in heaven and see our Savior face to face. But we still struggle with the, with the pain of death when we lose a loved one. You know, none of us, I know we all are looking forward to heaven, but I mean, none of us really want to go today, except Brother McCormick, and he's weird. Uh, but I mean, we, we, we want to go to heaven, but it's like, not, maybe not today's bus. You know, maybe we'll, we'll wait a few years so we get some things done to accomplish things. We still fear death because even though death is victory, you know, dying, depending on how you do it, can be pretty painful. So we, we're free from death, but we're still fearful of that. So we, we look back to what God has given us, but we look forward to that day when he comes and he makes all things new. He restores things to the way it was supposed to be. And we no longer have to struggle with sin. We no longer have to struggle with death and loss where we get to spend eternity, not just with our savior, but with those people who have gone before us. Our lost loved ones were reunited. And we, we look back to what has happened and we look forward to what is coming. We live, we, we look forward to the day where we will live in perfect communion with God and perfect communion with each other. 
where all the people that we've had strife and struggle with as believers, because look, I know believers aren't supposed to have difficulties together, aren't supposed to have disagreements together, but we do. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But all those people who we have struggle with and strife with, and it's going to be resolved. We're going to live in perfect communion with God and each other. And this morning, we're going to look at the love that Advent brings to us But more importantly, we're going to look at what we are supposed to do with that love. The greatest gift of Christmas is the love that we see from God in the story of our redemption. And the whole point of Advent is to remind us that God took on the form of man and came to dwell with us so that we could dwell with him for all of eternity. You know, as John reminds us, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you really think about God, you think about the enormity of God. I mean, just look back to Genesis 1, when in the beginning there was nothing but God, and God, the all-powerful, ever, you know, eternal God, spoke everything into existence. He created the world. He created the heavens. He created us. He created all the animals. And he did it because he loved us and wanted to spend time with us and wanted to fellowship with us. And then you look at the universe. I mean, if you really, you know, ever sit outside on a dark night and you can look at the stars and just see all the stars. And I love uh, during the wintertime when it's not too terrible cold. It's been a little too terrible cold lately. But just laying in my backyard on, my kid, on our kids' uh, you know, um, trampoline thingy, yeah. The thing that I'm not allowed to jump on because it will break me. But I lay out there and just look at the sky and sometimes you'll see, you know, shooting stars or comets or UFOs or whatever they are. But I just look, I just love looking at God's creation. And I think, man, of all the stars I can see with my naked eye, it's like a, a minuscule fraction of what the universe is really like. And so I'll sometimes Google, you know, images about outer space and see different galaxies and different, you know, supernovas and all this incredible stuff. I think, man, God not only made all of that, God keeps all of that going. God sustains all of that. Man, we, we have an incredible God. When you think about his enormity, his power, the complexity of his creation, his efforts to redeem us, they, they seem beyond comprehension. Why would such a God, such an all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting God, eternal God, why would he love us? What do we do for him? Nothing. Oh, well, we can praise God. Yeah, but he's got angels in heaven that do that. I mean, these angels are, I'm sorry, they're better at praising us because they got four heads. They got four faces that praise God at the same time. They got eight wings. They fly around blindfolded and still don't fly in anything. And all their job is to do is to praise God. So does God really need us for praise? Well, he wants us for fellowship. Well, I don't think God's lonely. God didn't make us because he's lonely. So why does God love us? It's because of his nature. You know, in John, 1 John, God used one word to describe himself. And that word was love. It says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. 
It's his character. God can't help but love us. He loves his creation. He loves us, and he is heartbroken that, that sin has separated us from him. So because of his love, because of his desire to be restored to fellowship with us, he came to live a perfect life, to die in our place, and to rise again to redeem us to God the Father. He did what we could never do because he loves us. And to me, that's, that's mind-boggling. I just, I don't understand it. Now, I, I'm, I like action movies. How many of y'all like action movies? All right. I love action movies. I love, you know, movies where somebody, you know, gets taken from the hero, some loved one, a, a wife or a, 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 a child or something. They're, they're kidnapped or taken from a loved one. And this hero spends the entire movie just, you know, killing people, snapping necks, shooting up places to get that loved one back. And I love that. Like, man, I understand that love. You know, someone tries to, to kidnap my wife. I'm not going to be as successful as these guys. I'm going to try. You know, I'm going to do my best to do whatever I got to do to get my wife back, to get my children back. Some days. To get my dog back. You take my dog, man, it's on, like Donkey Kong. And so I understand doing that, and I understand the heroes because it's, it's their wife, it's their kid, it's their loved one. They have that, that connection. No hero just randomly goes out and, oh, hey, there's some bum on the street that got kidnapped. I don't know them, don't care about them, I've never met them. I'm going to go out of my way to, I'm going to risk my life to save them. That doesn't happen. It always has a connection. What connection do we have with God? He's the ultimate hero and we're the ultimate villain. We're just, we've rejected him, we've, we've cursed him, we've, we've ignored him, we've been born enemies to him. But he, he loves us so much, he, he doesn't come just and risk his life, he gives his life. For us, I just, I don't understand that type of love. I am glad I have it. I'm glad God's given it to me. But I just, I don't understand it. I think one of the reasons is because our finite minds can't really comprehend that type of love. We don't really understand what love is. You know, I looked in the dictionary this morning, this week, and the dictionary defines love as a tender affection for a person or thing. It sounds nice, but we misuse the word. I love my wife. I would die for my wife. I will kill for my wife. I would do anything for my wife and my children. I love them, but I also love oysters. I also love UVA. Now, if I love my wife the same way I love UVA and oysters, she's pretty mad. And if I love UVA and oysters the same way I love my wife, I'm pretty weird. So love to us can mean a whole lot of different things. The love that the Bible speaks of is deeper than that. And that's because the language of the Bible has a lot of different words to describe what love is. And so there are four words translated in the Bible into love for Greek words that are translated from this Greek word to the English word love. And the first one is the Greek word agapo. Now, this is God's, it describes God's love for his creation. This literally means unconditional, unearned love. It is a love that is chosen and acted out by the will. Because look, to love is a choice. 
You choose to love your spouse. You choose to love the things you love. You say, well, I don't choose to love my children. Yeah, you did. Say, no, I didn't. Look, I know some of you experience the same thing I do. A parent that maybe doesn't love you the way they should, but in a parent that has, you choose to love. You may, well, I got to love them. No, you, you choose to love and you choose to show that love because love is a choice and love is an action. And this, this is unconditional love that is chosen by God. And it's not based on the worth or the goodness receiving the love. It's not based on an emotion. It is benevolent love that always seeks the one that is loved. It always seeks the good of the one or the object of the love. This is the love that comes from God to his children. Paul uses this love in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. The second love there is agapo. He has loved us unconditionally. He has loved us unworthily. Not because we are worthy, not because we are deserving, but in spite of the fact of that we are worthy because we're not. It is his nature to love. But we are to love other people the same way. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Same Greek word agapo. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. God loves us unconditionally, unworthily. And Jesus says, that's how you're to love people that are your enemies. That's how you're to love people that hate you. Again, we can't understand that, but that's how God loves us when we were his enemy. That's how God loved us when we hated him. We are to love those who don't love us unconditionally the same way that God loves us when we didn't love him. The second Greek word uh, that is translated love, it's related to the first, it is the Greek word agape. This is one you probably heard, heard most commonly. This is the noun form of the word agapo, and it describes love between people like a marriage or like a family. It describes the love, it also describes the love of man for God, the love of God for man, and God for Jesus. It is founded on a deep appreciation and regard for the one that is being loved. So it's the noun form of agapo, the noun form of the unconditional love. The third word is a Greek word, phileo. It is love between friends. It is a fondness or affection or delight. This word is based on feeling. See, agapo is not based on feeling. Agape is not based on feeling. That is unconditional love to one who is unworthy or one who is undeserving or one who doesn't even realize it. So it's not based on feeling. It is a choice to love unconditionally. Phileo is a choice. It's how you love your friends. It's how I love UVA. I have an affection for them. I choose to love them. And, you know, I can, it's a feeling that I have, and I can, I can change that feeling, obviously, and other people can change your feeling. But you can change your feeling with friends. How many, I mean, we've all had friends in the past who were our best friend, and man, we love them, and we couldn't imagine life without them. But then, you know, years go by, life happens, 
you drift apart. You don't hate them any. You don't hate them. You're not enemies, but you just haven't really thought of them in 10, 15 years. Till you meet on Facebook. You're like, oh, my best friend who I just found on Facebook and I know nothing about because I haven't seen him in 20 years. You're still friendly, but you, you cho- you know, you, your feelings faded because you stopped being around them. Uh, we are never commanded to have phileo love. Because again, phileo love is based on a feeling and God doesn't command feelings because feelings change. This word is used in Matthew 6, 5. It says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love phileo to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. The Pharisees, they loved the feeling they got when people thought they were super religious. When people thought they were holy, it was a feeling. So they loved to stand and pray and proclaim so that people looked up to them. That was the phileo love. The last word is it's the root, it's got the root word phileo in it, but it's the Greek word literally Philadelphia. And it literally means brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It's the love that we are to have for brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a family love. Every one of us have someone in our family, it's a cousin, it's an uncle, it's a brother or sister who you don't really like. They're annoying. They get on your nerves They're kind of abrasive, but you love them because they're family. You don't like them, but you love them. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have someone in my family like that, you're that person. You are that person in your family. I hate to tell you that, but every family's got one. So if you're like, we don't got one, it's you. You know, there's somebody that you're thinking this year, man, Christmas this year is going to be difficult, but hey, cousin Bobby can't come, so woohoo! You know, we got freedom from that guy this year. You love him. You just don't like him. And that's fine. That's the type of love that God says we are to have with brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Prefer one another to honor. You may not like everything another brother or sister in Christ does, but you're to still love them. You're to still help them. You're to still encourage them because they are part of your family. So with with so many words for love, what is the type of love that God gives us at Advent and what are we supposed to do with it? Well, the answer is found in our text first. So look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. The Bible says, And as ye would that men should do to you, do you like do you also to them likewise as you would that men should do to you do you also to them likewise this is what is known as the golden rule and everybody in the world even if they're non-believers they know the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you now i know what you're thinking that word doesn't have love in it. that phrase that verse doesn't have the word love in it. And you're right, but the principle of love is still there. See, this right here is a restatement 
of what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12 when he is asked by a, a Pharisee, he's asked by someone trying to, to trap him or trick him. He's asked, hey, okay, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? If there's one commandment we have to obey, what is it? And it's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, and one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he should... Uh, and that he had answered them well and asked, which is the first commandment of all? And then down in verse 30, Jesus says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So what does this type of love mean for us during the season of Advent? First thing I want to look at, I want to look at two things here. Number one, I want to see how does Jesus love? When Jesus spoke of, of loving your neighbor, he, the, the Bible uses the Greek word agapo, unconditional love. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was a kind of an offshoot. It was kind of a, a, a different type of Hebrew. But he was quoting the Hebrew scriptures, Leviticus 19, where it says, You shall not take vengeance, but bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the, word, I am the Lord. So the Hebrew word is the word ahav. It incorporates all the forms of love that we saw earlier in the Greek, the, the unconditional love, the brotherly love, the affectionate love. So that, that Hebrew word incorporates all of those. But again, Jesus didn't speak Hebrew. He didn't speak Greek who spoke Aramaic. The, the Bible, the writers of the scripture wrote it in Greek because that was the language of the day, the most common language of the day for, that everyone knew. So how did, how did Luke hear? How did Mark know that he was talking about agapo love, unconditional love? Well, they went into the, the dictionary. No. They didn't go into some ancient study of words. They saw his life. They saw how he lived. So when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, they witnessed how he loved people and said, he's talking about unconditional love. He's talking about unconditional, unwarranted love. After Jesus was asked, which was the greatest commandment, he said, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And that's a quotation from Deuteronomy 6 where he says, And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Then he adds to it by quoting Leviticus 6. He goes, you're going to love God with everything you have. Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So according to Jesus, which is most important? Loving God or loving your neighbor? Yes. Both of them. They're two sides of the same coin. The way you love God is seen in how you love your neighbor. The way you love your neighbor is seen in how you love God. Love, according to God, is not a feeling for someone else that happens to you. 
According to Scripture, you don't fall in love with God and others. Love is an action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. That's how Jesus lived. When he died on the cross for our sins, he was showing that type of love and action. He was giving of himself. He was giving the ultimate gift of himself, his very life, for the well-being of people who had spit on him, had pulled his beard out, had mocked him, had ridiculed him, had rejected him. He did it for us who, when we were enemies to him, and we ignored him, he gave the ultimate gift for us. He gave himself for the well-being of others for who were his enemy. We see this in John 13, the night before his crucifixion. The Bible says, Now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now supper being concluded, the devil had put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, lay aside his garments, took a towel and wrapped himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was wrapped. This is an is, is incredible display of love. God in the flesh, the creator, is humbling himself and washing the dirty, nasty feet of his disciples. He is preferring them over himself. And I love the fact that Judas is included in this passage. Jesus knew what G Judas had done. He knew what Judas was going to do. He knew that Judas had betrayed him and had sold him out and was going to turn him over to the Pharisees. He knew what he'd done, but he still showed him unconditional love. He still washed the feet of his enemy. That is a type of love that is given, that he gave to people, especially people in difficult situations. He showed that love to people who could never repay what he did for them, even if they wanted to. That's why Jesus was always going to the poor and the sick and the needy. He was helping people. He was healing lepers who could never repay him, who could never do anything for him. That is how he loved. He forgave the woman caught in adultery. He didn't ask her to do anything. Just said, go and sin no more. He was saved the woman at the well who was so ridiculed by society that she had to go at noontime when no one else was there because she was rejected by her culture. But he went to her and he showed her incredible love and she could do nothing for him. That is the love that God gives to us in, this, in, this, in, our, in, in the world. Jesus took us even further. He said the ultimate standard of God's love is how well we treat people that you can't stand. Luke 6.35, but love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the highest for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. We all have someone in our life that we just, not because we, we're, we're believers, we don't hate anybody, right? We can all agree that that's what we're supposed to say. We don't hate people, but there's some people we, just really, we don't like. They irritate us. 
they aggregate, they get on our nerves. Maybe they're our coworkers. Maybe they're our neighbor. Maybe they're our kids. Who knows? But there's, there's people that just, 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 they rub us the wrong way. Maybe they go out of their way to offend us and to hurt us and, and to bother us. You know how we're supposed to treat them? Just ignore them. No. Do good to them. Love them. Man, that's hard. No, that's impossible without Christ. But that's how he loved us. You think you were some great prize for Jesus that he was willing to, you know, you're not some great damsel in distress that the hero had. We, we are not worthy of what he did for us. We are not deserving of his love. But he gave it to us when we were enemies. That enemy embracing love, it imitates the character of God. That is how Jesus loved, and that is the love that we have at Advent. But here's the second thing. Based on how Jesus loves, how are we to love? 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we must also love one another. We are to love the same way we are loved. You know, Jesus didn't say things like, love your enemy and leave it alone. He lived it out. He showed us what it looked like. We are commanded to love the same way. You know, Jesus lived his life helping and serving those around him in practical and tangible ways. Jesus moved towards hurting and poor people who couldn't benefit him in any way at all, and that's who we're supposed to go to as well. He showed love to the forgotten ones that fell through the cracks of society. You know, when Jesus marched into, into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the religious elite, but then he allowed them to kill him so he could have the opportunity to save them. He made himself an enemy and allowed his enemies to destroy him so he could save them. He died for the selfishness and the corruption of his enemies because he loved them and he showed that love to them. He did that not just to save them, but to show us how we are supposed to love those around us. You know, we're to help those around us who need it. Even if we don't know them, even if we don't like them, even if they are opposing to us, we are to help everyone around us. We're to help those that no one thinks are deserving. We're to help those who cannot respond or cannot reward us in any way at all. We are to show the love to those that hate us, to those that fight against us, to those that we don't even like. You know, that's what Jesus talked about when he talked about turning the other cheek. You know, if someone smites you, turn the other cheek. He's not saying be a punching bag. He's not saying, hey, if someone comes up and smacks you, you just got to, you know, let them beat up on you. What he's saying is when someone shows anger or malice or hate towards you, don't respond. Don't show them what they gave you. Give them love. That's what he did on the cross. His enemies tortured him and beat him and crucified him and mocked him. And what did he do? He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He showed love.
He turned the other cheek to help them. See, our purpose is to receive unconditional, agapo love of God, and then show that love to everyone in our life, even the ones that hate us. You know, when Jesus, we all, there's that song about Jesus on the cross that he could have called 10,000 angels. How many of you have heard that song? He, I can't even, I don't know the tune, but he could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't need 10,000 angels. He's God. He, he didn't need anybody. All he could have said is, you know what? I'm sick of this. Boom. And just wiped everyone out. He could have destroyed his enemies. But he chose not to attack them. He chose to allow them to kill him to show them love. And that's how we are supposed to love. That's what Advent is to show us. It is seen in helping others. Look, it's seen in forgiving others. Some of us have people in our life who have hurt us. Maybe we deserved it. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we retaliated. Maybe it got ugly and heated. But there are people who have hurt us or gone out of their way to hurt us and, and maybe rejected us. You know what our response is to, to them? To forgive them and love them. Now, sometimes you can't, especially if someone's physically abused you or hurt you, I'm not saying call them up and say, I forgive you. But you are to forgive them. Forgiveness is just not letting them have that hurt over you. Because if you don't forgive them, you know who cares? They don't. It hurts you. So how do you show them love? You just, you don't allow them to have that hurt over you anymore. And you say, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way to hurt them. I'm not going to go out of my way to be a blessing to them. But you know what? If something happens and I can't help them, I'm going to. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to show them love. People who have burned bridges, it's your job as a believer to rebuild that bridge, to try to reestablish that connection. We are to be a blessing to other people. And there's a lot of tangible ways we can do that. Look, the community cupboard is one of the best ways. The Samaritan Closet is one of the best ways as a church we can show the love of God. The people that come to the community cupboard, the people that come to the Samaritan Closet, they will never help this church out in a tangible way. They may come, great. They're not going to tithe. <clears throat> They're not going to be, you know, I mean, they may be great members. They may serve and do Sunday school teachers. That's great. But I'm like, you know, literally speaking or figuratively speaking, they're not really going to be a, a, a great blessing to the church. But that doesn't mean we say, well, since you can't help us, we're not going to help you. No, we're to go, you can't help us. And because you can't help us, we're going to go out of our way to show the love of God to you. We're going to go above and beyond to help you because that's what Jesus did. He went to the poor. He went to the sick. He went to the needy. We can show that love to our community, but you can show that love to others outside the church, and you're supposed to. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. We're to show the love of. How do I do that? Be good to them, even if they hurt you. They look. You go outside, and your neighbor has his. Uh, Biden, Harris, all those signs up, and he's got the flag everywhere, and you got your Trump signs up, and all this stuff, and he comes out, and he's, yeah, he didn't really, he lost, and you, you know what you're supposed to do? Praying for your brother. Love your brother. Not retaliate. Oh, it's all a fraud. It was a fake. No, just don't retaliate. Cause hey, and you know, here's a good thing. This is not your motive. 
But the proverb says that a kind word on an enemy is like heaping coals of fire on their head. So you're like, man, that guy, he really gets my jab. I don't know how to hurt him. Be kind to him. Bring him coffee. Set up a sign when someone tears it down. Do whatever you can. Be well, I'm going to do that. No, don't do it to make them mad. That's just a byproduct and a good one. Why do we do it? Because that's how God loved us. Because that's what Jesus did for us. And that's what we're supposed to show to other people. It is impossible in ourselves to love those that hate us and to love those that can do nothing for us. But that's the love that God has given us to give to other people. Through Christ, through Advent, we not only receive that unconditional love from God, but we have that love to give to others. You know, the word love occurs over 300 times in the Bible. It's a common theme throughout Scripture. The entire story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is the story of God's unconditional love for us. It tells us how he loves us, and it shows us what his love does for us, but it also shows what we're supposed to do with that love in the lives of other people. We're to love others just as Jesus loved us. We're to love unconditionally. We're to love those who can do nothing for us, and we're to love those who don't love us back because that's how God loves for us. That's how God loves us. You know, there's humility in love. It's a willingness to put someone else first. Love means doing for others what you want them to do for you. Love means forgiving those that have hurt you. It means building bridges that have been burned down. It is choosing to see someone else, not as another person or those people, but as equally loved by God and equally welcomed into his presence. That's God's love. That is the gift of Christ. It's the heart of Christmas. So as we near Christmas Day, I challenge every single one of us to rediscover Christmas by rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-welcoming love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace. Our church is growing and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in or would like more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit us online at reachingroanoke.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a blessed day.